I feel I feel the we with with all those people on on those platforms because I'm invested in their in their progress. You know, like I'm invested in seeing them hit their goals. I'm invested in them seeing their or talking about the the downs as well as the ups. And for me, that that we is because running at least right now it's it's cultural you know and cultural is um when i talk about the running culture i guess running culture is we Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. Hey, Mimi. How are you? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sums it up. (laughs) I feel like that's been my reaction the last couple of weeks. Sorry, listeners, just keeping it real. Um, The weather or the air quality here in the Bay Area, rather, is... um, abysmal. And as I've been talking about a little bit on the last few episodes, I was training to run the virtual Boston. And we were all ready to go on this past Friday. And we had to we had to pull the plug because yeah. it just wasn't safe because of the air quality. And so it's kind of been this every day, like, can we do it? Are we going to, you know, is tomorrow the day? And, you know, if anyone who's run a marathon, even if you're not trying to race it, knows there's still a lot of preparation that needs to go in, um, getting your nutrition ready, whether that's what you're going to take on the run, what you're going to eat the day before, how much you're going to run the day before. There's just all these things. And so it's it's honestly been pretty stressful. So listeners, when this comes out, I may have run a marathon, but I also may not have. <laughs> yeah, at some point. I mean, I think the physical parts is hard, but also just the mental part. I can't imagine staying in that kind of highly anticipatory state and then just being constantly reminded of how bad the weather is, how bad the smoke is, how bad things are because you can't do it. Yeah. That's tough. And I, and I think it kind of like sucks the joy out of it. Yeah. So now it's become something that we just need to get done yeah. as opposed to something that, um, you know, we've been training for and we're looking forward to. So it's unfortunate, um, but I have to keep reminding myself that like I do this to myself. No one is forcing me to run any marathon ever, certainly not a virtual marathon. <laughs> and so these are all choices. Yeah. Um, and so that helps kind of reframe things. And, and, you know, I feel really lucky that even if, um, it doesn't go as planned, there's always a chance to get back to Boston. There's always a chance to do other things. Um, and then in the grand scheme of thing, this is, this is not the worst thing in the world. So it's all, it's all okay. But you can has been super helpful in, in keeping me ready to go should, the time come, both from being prepared from a super search perspective. Um, I've been talking a little bit about how my secret weapon for all my long runs has been uh, before I run, sort of with my breakfast, I mix my tropical orange uh, super starch energy with some water and I sip on that and then I just feel really good to go the entire run. And then I rehydrate with the electrolyte mix. So I've got my orange you can ready to go. 
should we go? But the other thing that, I, that I've actually been doing for years um, mm-hmm. that I made sure I did was I have a huge Brita water filter and I just dump the Yukan lemon lime hydrate electrolyte mix in there. So I have been drinking plenty of Yukan hydrate electrolyte the last, oh, six days <laughs> since I, this has been going on. I love that idea of putting it directly in your like water pitcher, your purified water pitcher, because then it just make, takes, you know, it's not a question. You don't have to think about it. It's not one more thing. So I'm definitely going to adopt adopt that. I've actually been hiding out in Idaho slash Montana for the mm-hmm. last few days, um, or for the last, actually for longer than that, for last couple of weeks. Um, and I find that, you know, just being at higher altitude, like the dehydration, the like everything is just affected. And I think, you know, having you can and having that as part of my my water routine, my hydration routine, even when I'm not uh, training for virtual Boston, um, has I think just helped me mm-hmm. like acclimate and feel less, um, you know, kind of less of the effects of being at higher altitude. So that's yeah. been great. So you guys know the drill. Go to youcan.co slash discount slash ROTB to get 15% off your order. Um, you know, try our, our hacks. Try putting mixing some Yucan and some yogurt, which we've talked about on other shows. Try putting the electrolyte in your Brita water filter. You won't regret it. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this week's episode is with Luke Wicker. And we... We loved talking to Luke. He, I think we described it as like poetry. Just yeah, listening to him speak. Um, it was it was really great. Uh, Luke is a designer, um, but he also writes, and he just uh, the way he speaks and the way he describes his relationship with running, it, it is poetry. Um, it's just beautiful to listen to. Completely, I I loved his perspective on you know running culture, and he's been a part of you know different running groups from running groups that were based in London to New York to the Bay Area. Um, he's a part of the Swap team, uh, the team that I run with, um, and so it was just great to hear. I think how he thinks about culture and how that has shaped mm-hmm. his own running, um, as well as you know we we talked about some some really cool things. He did his first hundred mile week during during Mm -hmm. quarantine. And I think just talking through the details of how an amateur puts that all together and what that was like for him, he, um, spoiler alert, absolutely loved it and would do hundred mile weeks, I think more often than Mm -hmm. uh, than our coach wants him to do. Um, and I think there was just a lot of, a lot of great things in there for runners of all kinds. He definitely, you know, is a road runner and a, and a trail runner. And so it was fun to hear those two perspectives as well. Yeah. Well, with that, enjoy this episode with Luke Wicker. Hey, welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. Today, we're here with Luke Wicker. Hey, Luke. Hi there. We're so excited to have you on. Luke and I are both members of the SWAP team. We're both coached by David Roach. Um, And I feel like, Luke, you and I, I don't know, we just found each other on Strava, started following each other on Strava, and then it was on Twitter. Um, But, you know, we have that kind of internet friendship, and I'm so excited to be able to learn a little bit more and talk to you in the podcast world. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, you get those kind of athlete crushes and... (laughs) With Swap, obviously, there's a ton of people in that that training group that are just incredible humans and and athletes. And uh, I remember seeing you on there. I think on on the Strava group, and just yeah, wanting wanting to follow as many people in that group as possible that were like, you know, posting interesting things, inspiring runs, and 
I think that was the start of it. And yeah, as you say, it snowballed from there. Yeah. I think you and I have also bonded over like talking about podcast episodes in our Strava titles, <laughs> which, yes. is, which is a specific type. That feels really meta right now. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, it's one of the things I, I love the most about the easy days yeah. is that that's all I really am doing is just listening to these podcasts. And um, I've really enjoyed you know, because this now has has been, a, I think, a few months into your journey with the podcast, and mm-hmm. from those first episodes, I've been listening. So I've, I'm very, I'm very um, grateful to to chat with you both. Oh, well, we're so we're so excited to to get into it, and you've, you know, this is obviously a crazy time, um, and so I think you know one f- kind of fun way to start is just why don't you describe an ordinary everyday snapshot of your life right now? <laughs> yes. Well, I guess I should start by confessing that I'm terrible in the mornings. Uh, I just just refuse, like an element of me refuses to wake up. And that's no matter what time I get to bed. So normally I kind of wake up, have an alarm that is like early enough to get a run in before work. And there's maybe a 20% chance I actually get up and do that run in the morning. Um, So that's obviously not a, a great hit rate. Uh, then I'll, I'll, you know, basically do the same thing that has now become routine. I've become the biggest fan of of oatmeal uh, yeah. in, in quarantine that I just hadn't really been having before. So that's become like my thing now. Oatmeal, coffee, open laptop, panic that I have a lot of things to get done in the day <laughs> and you know, try and struggle to kind of either talk my way through it or, or at least kind of um, rope people in to help me. And then I think, at, you know, it often tends to be like six or later, I'll scramble out to get my run done. My partner is incredibly um, just supportive of, of my running. So she'll um, go do uh, yoga, any, any of her exercising when we'll kind of come back mad cooking session and then sleep and do it all over again, maybe with a bit of, a bit of, uh, you know, TV or kind of, um, some sort of media screen watching in, in between. And, you know, you could obviously name any number of TV shows people have become obsessed with during Mm -hmm. this this thing and I think we've ticked most of them off. <laughs> Although like Tiger King feels like 14 years ago. It, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a way I've, I've forgotten all the details of that show because it, as you say, it's like the very start, like the first month. Yeah. <laughs> so in a, in a way you could probably track each month or, or, you know, um, in our minds each year, uh, what show you are watching, what show you are loving and, We've just finished a show called Alone, which I had never. <gasps> oh my yes. god! <laughs> I had never. I do not know this. about this. Oh my god! <laughs> it's incredible. It's so, amazing. Except it's either you're either going to think it's amazing or like the most boring show you've ever watched in your life. <laughs> there's there's no in between. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. um I think fascinating for anyone who either loves being outside or just mm-hmm. loves getting to know people that are like very different from them. Mm-hmm. So we have been watching it in awe at, 
essentially these people are, you know, left alone individually in um, these very remote spaces. This one's in Alaska, and they're surviving it through winter, essentially. And it, the winner mm-hmm. of this show is the last person left that doesn't kind of tap out. So they're incredibly resourceful in the way they hunt for food, build their shelters, all of these things that make us feel very kind of inadequate about <laughs> how we deal with every everyday life, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's been our latest addiction. And I think we did that in maybe um, three three sit-ins. So mm, that oh, says wow. a lot. Yeah. Did you watch the one in Patagonia? That was the first one I watched. Oh, no. I, oh, that's a great one. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's great to hear. Because we, we only saw an Alaska one. So, or an, I think it's Arctic. So okay. we need to go through the rest of the seasons, obviously. Yeah, there's the Patagonia one, and then there's like there's sort of like an all-star one where they bring people back. But um, the other interesting component of it is like, yeah, it's just sort of who can last the longest, but they don't want you to die. So, (laughs) so they do have medical checks, and if you don't pass the medical check, then they take you out. So you have to be, you have to be really smart about it. And like, Mm -hmm. if you've lost too much weight or all of these other factors, then they'll they'll remove you. Um, but it's sort of like Survivor without challenges and people and just actually surviving. It's on the History Channel, but I think there are some episodes on Hulu. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we, we just, I'm not a big reality TV fan. I love like documentaries and anything mm-hmm. that is slightly um, going to teach me something. But this is... I think all of those rolled into one. Mm. So you've got the best of both worlds. You're like learning survival skills. Like, okay, this is how you shoot a wolverine with a bow and arrow, for Mm. instance. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, as you say, like how you kind of mentally overcome hunger, which I think as as like runners, the interesting comparison and and to try and bring it back to, you know, what, what we love, I think they are so willing to put themselves on the line and they get to this medical check that Mimi mentioned and they will do everything they can to overcome that and they'll push through. And these um, producers and the show staff, they, they're obviously saying to them, like, you are medically um, at risk, you're in danger of dying, and they'll still be standing there saying, like, mm-hmm. well, I want to continue. So it's a, it's a great example of... Um, people's potential to push through limits, even even if it's not the best safety, mm-hmm. <laughs> safety warning. Yeah. My, I was watching it, I don't, I think that was like month two of quarantine. It was after Tiger King. Mm. Um, and my boyfriend was like, what are you watching? He's like, this looks like the most boring thing ever. He, he was not a fan of it, but I was like, it's fascinating. Because it, there can be like three episodes with someone trying to, catch this one mouse and you're like very invested in whether or not they're going to catch that mouse it's yeah it's really Mm. good exactly and and, uh we on this particular season i think it was so interesting because the different techniques that people have like you know there's some people that are clearly um hunters and Mm -hmm. then other people that are much more like uh god i don't know what the term would be but they they love 
the woods or they love the outdoors and they'll take the plants and the herbs and make things from those. And that that is like such an amazing sight to see because it's so dramatic every single time. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, they've, they've got a personal vendetta with this rabbit or with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love, I love the analogy, you know, back to, back to running of like, you know, when you survival is, is, is about, you know, these survivalists are about digging deep and, you know, certainly there's an analogy there of, you know, in a marathon, what it's like, you know, 20 miles in when every part of your, like every part of your body is kind of saying, stop, slow down. And yet like you overwhelmingly are like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to push, I'm going to push through. And I know Luke, you've had some, you know, breakthrough races um, and some great performances. And so I want to get into all of that, but let's take a step back and tell us a little bit about, you know, where did you, where did you grow up? Um, I don't think that that accent is um, a San Francisco accent. So (laughs) why don't you (laughs) take us back? Where'd you grow up and, and when did you start running? Yeah. That's a great um, anchor. Thank you. So I I grew up in South London. I think it's slightly debatable if I can call it London or not. The mm-hmm. the city is called Croydon. And mm-hmm. so anyone near to there would probably um, protest greatly at me calling it South London. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I grew up there and um, I was kind of, you know, I I grew up in a family that was was mostly um, very hardworking and not very um, not very focused on kind of creativity. And I have mm-hmm. um, I don't I think it's not not disappointing for them, but I have definitely turned to that side of the world. So mm-hmm. I went to art college coming out of um, my education, and that felt like a whole new world to me where I'd never been exposed to all of these kind of, this kind of art, these ways of thinking. I, I, um, I honestly think if I hadn't have gone to art college, I could have taken a very different um, route. I definitely would not be in San Francisco. I think at pre-art college, my dad had asked me if I wanted to be like a laborer or like a, you know, mm. a tradesperson. And um, I just was terrible at exams. So... <laughs> That, that was always my issue. And I, I found like a real love for films and for kind of the idea of writing, the idea that you could kind of entertain someone, whether it was like 30 seconds with an advert. And I, I was pretty obsessed with like adverts when I was kind of in high school. Mm. And also, you know, how that could become a film. You could take that same idea of entertaining people albeit much more complex and much, <laughs> much harder and with bigger budgets, but you can make a film. And so I actually, I went to art school to study advertising, which if you um, have ever been to an art school, the idea of an advertising course at an art school is basically um, completely like the opposite of what it should be about. Like everyone at art school is like trying Don't to make sell in, out. indie yeah. films. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We walk, we walk through the corridors and, and they're like, there's the ad students. Like, 
you know, just like hissing at you and um, <laughs> you, you were seen, you were seen as like the least creative people, I guess, in, in the mm. college. And um, we, yeah, I studied there and I, I found a, a real focus in, in doing that work. And I had, I kind of went from being a fairly distracted student and a fairly kind of a student that was bad at doing my work to um, really loving the joy of making things. And I, um, I, I kind of, in advertising, you work as, as a duo if you're in the creative side of it. So mm. I found this partner and we met at university and we worked together for 10 years. And he was, um, his, you know, he's essentially like my brother now, but we're, we're in many ways, we're complete opposites. And at that point in meeting at uni, we just became very focused on our work and I became very, I guess, lazy, you know, in terms of physical activity. I, mm. as a kid, I would play football or soccer, you know, mm. and um, I loved it. And that was my joy every weekend. We'd, we'd go and play football and play in the mud. And, um, yeah. you know, our, our groups of kind of um, 40, 50-year-old blokes would like shout at you from the touchline and tell you what to do. But you were just enjoying playing with your mates and having yeah. fun. And uh, then I, I, have, I have to say I tried running at one point when I was still a kid and I think I quit my football team or soccer team and I went to join our local athletics club which is a, a it's South London Harriers if you're in the UK and and they're like a very kind of quite well-known running club which I didn't know at the time and now I see their results looking on the um you know the boards and all the times and they're they're incredible runners but this mm. guy gave me a chance to run with them and took me to a meet uh, an athletics meet one time to do a 1500 mm. and I think I ran it and I never ever we drove back I said goodbye and then I never called him back <laughs> or ever did it again so that was like running once until I got very lazy at, at art school and eventually finished art school and went to London and we you know, we'd work incredible hours to to get ourselves a job. We worked very hard, sat around. The the life of an advertising creative, if you've seen any of the kind of films that parody parody it, mm-hmm. you know, it's it is a it is a kind of um very privileged job. You get to sit there, give your opinion, talk about things, sometimes write some words or design some things, but you do spend a lot of hours kind of with this in mind and I just didn't ever dedicate any of my life to being active but I definitely dedicated a lot of it to thinking of ideas and drinking alcohol and so that (laughs) I think that continued into about 2011 and Mm -hmm. so that was when I really started to realize um, what we'd call in the UK you know I had a beer belly and I I'm not a big guy, and, and so I, this beer belly <laughs> was very mm-hmm. prominent. And I was only like, you know, in my very early 20s. So at that point, I was like, this is not good, and I'm not going to be heading in the right direction if I continue at this rate with eating what I'm eating and drinking what I'm drinking. So I started to run 
in the evenings, um, pitch kind of pitch black, you know, I, I didn't, I certainly didn't consider myself a runner at the time. Mm. And there was this canal or, or river in London that was near where I lived. And I would run two miles one way and two miles back and be exhausted by the time I got halfway and would listen to music to get me going. And, um, that was really the start of my journey. So it, it feels like a very different life back then, mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah. When did you start liking running? <laughs> um, I guess I, I would say I liked it from that point, from when I, when I was running in those evenings. Yeah. Um, I was not serious and I did not know anything, anything about it, you know, my form, mm-hmm. none of those things that you would now, you'd now read about or you'd, you'd now discuss, you know, we're, in, we're obviously in an incredible running boom in many senses now and there's so much culture and so much um, written and made around running, but I just wasn't tuned into it then. So my lifestyle was basically work in the agency and try and make great work, work till eight, nine at night, decide that like I'd either go to the pub or I'd go running. And Mm -hmm. there started to be a shift where I started to want to to choose that run instead. Mm -hmm. And it became clearer that I was, I think, benefiting from the clarity it was given me you know, not only during the run, but afterwards I could really focus on my work. And of course there were like the health benefits too. So it, it was, it was wrapped up in this kind of enjoyment of feeling like I, I was almost playing, you know, there, there was like an ex- exploration at that time. And I ran a half marathon, I think in, in 2011, that year, mm. not knowing anything really about pacing I certainly didn't do well like I I um think back now to it and I I think I made every mistake possible (laughs) I was probably wearing new trainers I had had not done any real training other than like maybe two runs a week and that was probably over like a four week time frame (laughs) and and that honestly continued for a while and Mm -hmm. I I I think at the point where it changed was I got to work on some brands that were sports-based, you know. So mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to work on um, the, the kind of brands I, I now look at in awe as a runner, but like Nike, um, Beats by Dre, these, these brands that were putting things out that were about performance or were about inspiring athletes to do better. Mm-hmm. And we had this this great um kind of community in in london in my agency where we a few of us would go for a run and it it just really developed by from there because not only was i getting that mental clarity but i was lucky enough to to find friends and get to know people through it and it became the thing we did Mm. before to be honest often before going to the pub but still we we did it and um that that was such a joy and i i stupidly signed up for the london marathon i think in 2014 <laughs> just just at that point and i i at the time i was 
thinking I was a fairly serious runner by then. I'd, I was like running a couple of times a week. I, I would disappear for an hour or two at the weekends. And I really thought I had it all together, <laughs> all together, <laughs> you know, and, um, unfortunately I, I developed like an Achilles issue mm-hmm. just before the London marathon mm-hmm. and, um, stupidly still run it. So oh. I, I ran the London marathon with kind of what probably looked like a hobble, but to me was, um, just tactically trying to place my weight a bit more forwards <laughs> onto mm. my toe, I think onto my toes, or it may have been the other way, but, um, I just remember developing a huge blister during that race and feeling it. I've never felt a sensation like it, like the blister burst and it was warm and there was definitely blood. And uh, that, that like sensation will still now I feel it, you know, I still think about it sometimes, but, but after that 2014 marathon, I, I had told myself like I I could do better. I, Mm -hmm. I knew I could, I, I was always really competitive during football and I had um, been lucky enough to kind of do well in our careers where if we set ourselves a goal, we would, you know, try and achieve it and normally get close. And so we're privileged to think, you know, we're privileged to think that if we tried to do something, we could. And um, I ended up joining a group called Vandem Crew, which is Mm. one of the kind of urban running crews there, the founder, Charlie Dark, he is, I mean, he's definitely one of the biggest inspirations to me and I think to, to so many of the people in that group and, and beyond, you know. Mm. He and um, some of the others were the foundation of this kind of, this movement in cities to, to form these running groups way before um, it was on Instagram, you know, way yeah. before it was cool to kind of have a, a t-shirt with your logo and um, post about your things on Insta. And so I, I joined that crew after actually after a while of trying and um, mm. they often would kind of keep their numbers a little tight because what they wanted to have this feeling of community and family. And it's actually a group that was mainly creative people. Um, so either creative, creative minds in the industry in London or, and I think this is my favorite thing about the group overall is they would focus on giving youngers, like young kids from London areas that are, you know, not as um, privileged and like Mm -hmm. kids that would often not even travel across London because of the, the threat of like, you know, going into another postcode and and maybe Mm -hmm. like getting into trouble. Mm. Um, they, Charlie like would go out of his way to, to mentor these kids and, and that seeing that community and seeing the runners that I would like trail behind, but seeing these people that were so fast and had this, this spirit to their running that I think was the real, the final hook, you know, that really got me into it. Yeah. I love that. It definitely, the Run Dem Crew has like that feeling that you get now from like Orchard Street Runners, which is very yeah. much like a New York Instagram mm-hmm. friendly brand or even um, Speed Project, which is something, you know, I know you're signed up to do the the virtual Speed Project and we want to get yeah. into that. But, you know, I think that's 
I love hearing a little bit more about it. I didn't realize the, I had heard about them, but I didn't know the, the founding and I didn't know that they did a lot of that kind of youth out, outreach, which is really great to hear. Yeah. And I, I'd say that, you know, Charlie, he, um, he's an incredibly creative man, you know, he's mm-hmm. a, a, a writer, poet, DJ, um, father figure to, to all, all of the people in the group really. But what was so cool was, you know, he was one of those people that also ran at night mm. when he like just wanted to, to, <laughs> to run for himself and he didn't want to be seen by loads of people because you feel weird, like starting out running. And, um, I think so many of the, the people in that, in that group, they start off that way and they find the, they find Rundam and they then suddenly have this community of people that are like willing to run with them at the weekends, you know, mm-hmm. willing them to go enter a race, to, to really like not just assume that they are like not able to do a marathon because they've never done it before, but instead like you could train for this with us and, you will do it, you know, and we believe mm-hmm. in you. And um, that, seeing that element of running was, I think, the most magical thing. And to be at a, Rundam have, um, they have like a, a cheer section at London Marathon every mm-hmm. year. And um, the this zone of people where you, if you run through it, as a, a runner at the London Marathon, like it's honestly like a wall of noise and it's the one, the one space I think along that whole course that feels um, like a true representation of London. You know, it's mm. like so diverse and it's, so, it's got so much more like amazing signage and it's got music playing and like people having fun. And mm. I think that element is what Rundem brought to, to London, I think, showed others. You know, there, there's, like, bridge runners in New York and, as you say, mm-hmm. Orchard Street. And, like, yeah. I mean, Orchard Street were amazing in, in their own right. Those, those races are, like, I look on in awe at, at yeah. those runners. I want to do one of those so badly. Yeah. I wish. <laughs> yeah, Bridget and I both spent some time in New York. And when I was there, they, they did not have Orchard Street or sort of, really any of the run crews and now I have like major FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. looks so fun. It, and it just looks like such a community of, of people that are brought together by something that they, they really love and are turning it into something that's not just enjoyable from an endorphins perspective or like fitness, but it becomes, it becomes something more, mm-hmm. right? It becomes sort of this I don't know if I should call it like an underground thing, but there's a sense of at least what I perceive like inclusion or community or like you're part of something bigger than you, but even in some ways bigger than just like being a general runner yeah. um, that feels special. Definitely. Clearly, clearly I want that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Where I do think, I find that here? Yeah. <laughs> I think the magic is that, you know, of course, these are like, especially Orchard Street, you know, those people are like so fast. And I, I think the magic of these is actually it's not about the time, you know, it's yeah. not about their speed. And of course, they are trying to be the best they can be and run it as fast as they can. But 
it's the people that make it better. You know, it's the it's the people that you either talk with after that race or that you've been training with beforehand that like actually make it worth doing, I think, and really give you I guess the, the easiest way to sum it up is I have never, ever regretted going to like a random night or any of those um, those things where you meet up with runners. Like there's no way do you come away feeling worse about yourself. You only feel mm-hmm. better from be, for being around those other people. Mm-hmm. So what brought you out to the Bay Area? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Good point. Yeah. So I was in London. I was in London for a long time and I worked in London. I was um, so fortunate to kind of work at agencies that were very interesting, did some great work. And um, my partner and I at the time, I, sh- I should say, like, in this sense, I mean, my work partner, mm. um, this this guy, Wilf, he he and I, as, a, as I mentioned, 10 years plus together. And we had this kind of body of work that we we had been given the opportunity to make and had really tried to grasp with both hands. And one of those things was to work on the um, World Cup in mm. 2015 for for Google. Well, at mm. least I think it was 2015. It may have been 2014. But we, we had this opportunity to basically watch um, football, soccer, you know, 24 hours a day <laughs> and we were we were basically paid to sit there and write headlines about each match and use kind of some of their tools to surface interesting things and Wilf would design and I would write and we actually had this incredible room of people like 30 40 plus people all doing this all of us doing the same thing gathered to watch these games and it just so happened to be that that year, because the World Cup was in Brazil, the best place to be in terms of the time zone was San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we all, th- we all were flown over and we worked in San Francisco for, I think, about eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, I lived this ridiculous life of um, watching football and then going out to, to look around San Francisco before that or in the evenings and, um, I will say I hardly run, you know, at that or, or ran at that point. I was, I was very much indulging in the um, bars and uh, <laughs> restaurants of San Francisco. But I, I remember running up the hill. Um, I think it might have been Knob Hill mm. or the hill with the huge church at the at the top of it, and. Um, and I remember sprinting up that because I thought I was fit and very quickly finding out I could not get up that hill that easily <laughs> and just falling in love with San Francisco. And I don't think at that point we realized that we would want to work here, but we came away from that experience thinking it would be so incredible to work abroad and to work in a different country. So we actually were approached, I think, the next year, 2015, and we were offered a chance to come and work at Facebook in San Francisco or down in the Bay in Menlo Park. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously there's, there's, um, that's a whole other conversation about that work, but there is something to the challenge of kind of 
coming over to another culture and learning how to do work that speaks to the people there. You know, so we were so used to doing work in England and we we just really were excited to to make stuff in America and have the experience of doing things over here and learning from, you know, the industry here is incredible. There are some, from my perspective as a writer, there are some just incredible copywriters that have made iconic work and obviously LA and all those kind of places for filmmaking are just glorious and you kind of, as, as a kid growing up in London, and at no point did it ever dream of me that I could go over to the West Coast and, and have a life here. So, mm. yeah, we accepted that job and came in 2015. And again, I, I think I had a bit of a kind of, I had a really hard time at first. I think we both did. We, it took us a little while to adjust and we were working a lot and I didn't run at first. Um, I had, earlier that year, I, I had ran my first 100K. Mm. So I, I, I made this really slightly naive jump. And I, I mean, it was the best thing ever. But I, I ran that marathon in 2014 and decided I'd do this 100K the next year and just did <laughs> it. And um, again, that was through Rundown. That was um, this amazing lady called Sorrel Walsh, who is, mm. uh, she, she formed this group called Women Run in London and just in the UK and got these, this huge amount of people to run this hundred K race, particularly women, you know, she was focused on showing them that they could, they could um, run these distances if they wanted to. And she wanted to change the, the gender numbers on that start line, you know, like she didn't want to Mm -hmm. see a picture of white men, on the start line looking super serious, super focused, like we're all going to win this race. She, she wanted to show that like that can be anyone that can be women as well. And, um, so a huge amount of us ran that race and I then stopped running. (laughs) I think (laughs) I basically ran that race and, and like had a great time, decided I was moving to San Francisco, stopped running because I was kind of, you know, celebrating, the move and then saying goodbye to many, many people. And um, then I moved here and started working. And I, I'd say my first year in San Francisco, and I live in the city, I, I just didn't explore. I, mm. I didn't see how beautiful it was and um, the, the culture the city has. So uh, I'd say as of, as of that next year, 2016, that's when I really started to um, I, I took that 100k experience and I decided the trails were the thing for me mm. I, I was I was never going to be a road runner I didn't like it like I'd got this Achilles issue and that was always going to happen to me and this was kind of my you know pig-headed thought and so I, I was like okay I'm going to be- become an ultra runner because I, I love the the distances I love going for much longer I'm never going to be fast enough. There's always someone faster than you on the road. So maybe it doesn't matter if I'm slow on these trails. And I just started, I started doing that. And so that, that's kind of my, what has become my San Francisco life is trying to run trails as much as I can. And, um, 
doing the the advertising work when um not on those trails and exploring exploring california and the the beauty of of this part of the country mm. you talk a lot about like we you know both with your your partner your advertising partner um you talk about like you know the attraction to san francisco and the kind of culture of copywriters um and creatives here uh and also with what run dem crew like how much that we was a part of feeling connected feeling inspired Mm -hmm. and so i'm curious what how that uh do you run with people here um are you a solo runner how is that how has that evolved since moving to the bay area yeah so so I think the we has been consistent, you know, through my running journey before coming here. But um, I'm I'm a solo runner now. I I rarely run with people, not not through anything else than I just can't get my act together. You know, I, <laughs> I um, you know I have to fit the runs in when I can, and if I'm waking up late, then that's often after work and later than most people because they might finish before me. And, um, I, I think I, I much prefer running with people. I love Mm. the fact that you come away from every run and you've kind of had a conversation and you feel better for it, or you've learned something or, you know, in terms of training, you're, you're often better for training with people, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that is them being faster than you and and helping you or whether that is them kind of wanting to run easy that day and just keeping you in check as well. But I, I, um, I think mainly it's, it's partly been because not many people on my, my team would run at work and Mm I, I'm quite shy. So I was, I was always aware of um, San Francisco running company and, and it actually took me till um, like 2019, I'd say. Mm-hmm. To, so like essentially four years to get the courage up to, to go to SF Running Company um, group run. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just because I didn't know how to turn up and what to do. And um, I, I just decided it was a lot easier to run alone. And I think running over those years running solo in San Francisco has really never been alone, you know, because, mm. and, and this is why I, I think I always describe it as we, because I, I still think of myself as, as part of random crew. I still think mm. of myself as um, being part of the communities and the friends I, I have around the world, you know, and yeah. I don't, I just because I'm running solo doesn't mean I'm not then on Strava or I'm not then on Instagram or Facebook talking to them about either how they were that day or like even just like giving them kudos. And Mm -hmm. I think the we is important because there has to be someone that inspires you, you know, like I, I don't think we are out there running alone because it's, it's just us, I think at some point something has inspired you along that way. And whether that is the people back in London or the people over here in the, in the trails and mountains and in Marin and California, but I just think we are running, running well is a, a solo activity and it can be very selfish. I think it, it is so much better for people. 
and to me the the kind of exploration is is i guess part of it that you are you're meeting new people through running you know as as we spoke about like Bridget we met each other on on the internet on Strava and like yeah. I I feel I feel the we with with all those people on on those platforms because I'm invested in their in their progress you know like I'm mm-hmm. invested in seeing them hit their goals I'm invested in them seeing their or talking about the the downs as well as the ups and for me that that we is because running at least right now it's it's cultural you know and cultural is um when I talk about the running culture I guess running culture is we you know Mm -hmm. it's not just one person of course there are some amazing runners that we all look up to but it's it's the broad it's the masses that make that culture and uh that that is why I think the we is is the thing for me rather than just little little Luke running hills in San Francisco. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Sitting over here tearing up. Um, because I think it's true and running can feel lonely at times if you're doing it by yourself so much, especially when you have like a really long run. But even if you're listening to a podcast or music or seeing other people, there's a way to make it so we're never really alone. And yeah, yeah, there are some downsides or challenging aspects of things like Strava in terms of competition or feeling pressured to post your run, but it's also an opportunity to feel encouraged and inspired by other people. Um, And so if you look at it from that perspective, it does become the we instead of the I and this feeling that even if you do have to go out and do your 20 mile long run, you're not alone. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, we're both part of SWAT, Bridget. So we obviously, we have exactly what Mimi's talking about. You know, that, that idea that, if we finish a run and you put it, you put it on the group, like David, our coach, he is, if he's, he might comment on your run or he might comment in your log. And, um, I think I definitely look, I'm, I'm never going to lie, you know, like I, I think my ego is inherent in my work and I wouldn't have gone into writing and, um, creative fields if I maybe wasn't slightly ego driven. And in the, in the same way, I think, I crave that um, response back from people. You know, I want to see um, what David says, even though I went out for a 20-mile run and it was just me. I, Yeah, I want to discuss it. I want to discuss what it was like, you know, how I felt. And um, there's there's something really interesting about the way we... This is, this is a little tangent, so I apologise. But I, I think that's so interesting about the way we consume things now. You know, we're constantly consuming the new, the next new thing and we're all part of it. We're consuming TV and books and films and we're all talking about the same stuff. And we often are... We go running and we have these juxtaposing outcomes, I guess. And one is that 
we we have a chance to be away from those stories you know mm. so much of at least my life and, and most of ours is like we're consuming stories and I'm I'm like writing things um, most days for my work so the idea of getting out there and having a experience that is an an other is mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. a fresh kind of thing that you if I'm honest words can't always capture you know they are it's a feeling it's a experience that um is you you come away every time you run feeling that but I think that that is a very selfish feeling like wanting that that otherness that in one way or another feels unique to you and then (laughs) in the complete opposite side of the spectrum, there is this fact that you can go running and you can um, experience uh, a story that you will tell people, you know, and that you will share. You'll run past these people on a trail and like smile and say hello. And mm-hmm. I definitely am one of those people on mm-hmm. trails that is like, says hi. And Sometimes people don't acknowledge, <laughs> <That's>, you know, <laughs> like won't say hi back. But I think you, in that moment you have something shared and you have a story to tell, you know. You've seen something that day, whether it's the view from uh, the top of a climb, whether it's a new route that you've been on, the smells, the senses that you um, you really mm. can describe to someone or the scar, you know, the fact you fell over today and you <laughs> you have something to, to talk about with this mm-hmm. person. Like, it's such a, a kind of interesting contradiction of sorts where it's like, it's like no other and that one run is like no other and ne- never will be. But in the same ways, you will um, be able to tell the story every single run and... Um, the idea of being able to share those things is is the culture we're creating right now, especially with, you know, podcasts like this and, like, the amount of newsletters and the amount of kind yeah. of um, the, the people that have really started to turn um, the running culture into something more than a sport, that they turn it into something that is a sense of um, an activity in itself to like really cherish and um, that, yeah, I love, mm-hmm. I love that. And I'm, I'm seeking, I'm definitely seeking as much of that as I can. Yeah. It makes me think like, as you were talking, I was thinking of how sort of our, our collections of runs at different points in our lives when we've lived in different places or even just ventured out differently can sort of tell a story of where we've been and who we are and what we experienced at that time. I mean, I I feel like when I go back and run places where I used to live, I'm like transported back in time yeah. to those memories. Or even when I'm listening to a song, I remember where I heard that song, like I used to, you know, hear that song on my playlist when I was at this, you know, part of Riverside Park in New York. And these runs become kind of our our athletic history of ourselves. Um, and I think a lot about that and sort of the intersection between that and 
and writing and expression. And I'm, I'm wondering too, like you're a writer, you're, you, um, how does, how do you, how does running influence your writing? Um, I think I take a lot of inspiration from running when I think about writing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> great question actually, because I, I'm not the best at writing away from my work and I really mm. wish that had, mm. had been different over the last year or two. I, I often find that I put a lot of energy into my work and when I then spend my time running it, you know, it's purely focused on the run and the training and, and kind of either trying to improve and train for whatever race I have or, mm-hmm. or, um, just get it, get it done, I guess. But mm. I, I've been incredibly inspired by some of the, the people over the last few years. Like there, there's Knox Robinson who, yeah. who's honestly, I think one of the most eloquent, um, runners out there. I would put Charlie Dark again, but in that category, like these people who, when they write or when they talk about this, this sport of ours, you know, it, it is more than a sport to them. You know, it has elements of creativity. And I think that that is like everything from choosing a route and deciding you're going to go up that hill or you're going to turn right as it is varying your pace, you know, like mm. I love the idea of um, intervals because I love how different it feels. And yeah. I think with writing, you know, good writing is rhythm. Good writing is mm. this practice and it takes time and you get better at it over, over time. And I, I would say that I'm definitely looking, I'm, I'm actually starting to write some things myself for my, for myself now and Mm. start to think about things because I, I feel like it's slightly, again, maybe this is ego and probably, (laughs) probably is because I don't know why I as like another white dude think it's worth putting my um, opinions out into the world. (laughs) But I think the idea of writing something is so kind of, it's your, it's slightly your duty in the same way that um, running is your duty. You know, like yeah. if you have that gift and mm-hmm. you can give yourself that space to like run and work things out, writing is that too. Writing is mm-hmm. the, the way to work things out and the way to, to communicate and to influence and to touch people and um, to hopefully just like, you know, great books, they can change people's uh, whole day or mm-hmm. they can change the way you see the world. And um, I would love, I'd love for, the, I think, the culture of running to do more of that. You know, I think Runner's World and these magazines are incredible, but I look to, I look to people like Charlie, like Knox, um, like Mario, actually, in the Bay Area, or, um, yeah, like, these these people that are just, they're, they're taking a different cultural look at it, and they're starting to kind of infuse what our impact as runners is beyond just the run itself. 
Luke, to your point, I, I want to hear what you have to say. I think you you have a lot to say and, and thinking about about this deeply beyond just just the run. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking how sometimes a run for me is kind of like the absence of thought. Like it's mm. almost like I need that space to stop thinking, you know, to your point about consuming. Sometimes the run provides like this kind of the a blankness where like maybe there's one thing I'll remember like a meadow, a flower, one passing one person. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my training log, I'll have, you know, sometimes my description is very short and sometimes it's very long um, (laughs) because sometimes, you know, the run reveals uh, things about work. It's very, it's highly like uh, energetic from a, a mental perspective where I'm connecting thoughts, I'm thinking about people and it feels very productive in a different way. But I think like thinking about how both of those two things are really powerful and also trusting that when you set out on a run, like you just kind of have to give over to what the run's going to give you. Like I've, when mm-hmm. I've set out on runs and I felt like I need this to, I need this run to create space to answer this question and often doesn't do that like you have to kind of in a way it's almost like meditating that way like you can't ask the meditation to give you the answer you just have to meditate and trust that in time the answer will come yeah I love I love that Mm -hmm. it's you know it's the blank page isn't it it's like you (laughs) you stare at this this in in our case like many times it's just this laptop screen and uh for runners it is essentially like the idea of getting out the door you know and like you've you do just have to start yeah. and you don't you don't know what it will bring or if what you produce that day will be like totally rubbish and not not make a difference or like some days it could just like you know make your week and I think that is there there is a, a great link there and um I love the idea of of play as well. I think there's something there between writing and running, which is um, the idea that you can you can be creative and you can play with these things. The the fact that people are testing their boundaries now in running and they, you know, are looking at like 100k, 100 miles. How can I do? What is my limit? In the same way that like people will try and write a piece on. Um, a subject and you you know you don't know how it would turn out until you write that piece and I think you're right by the way about Tempo and Tracksmith and mm-hmm. these these places that are like they are starting to examine so much not just of the current culture but educate a lot of us about past culture as well like yeah. Yeah. that that is a bit of a new discovery for me I must say like I I left England not knowing anything about running history in England. Mm. I I wasn't at all um, obsessed with that. And now I find myself in San Francisco and I'm obsessed with Western states and I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with, you know, yeah. the... the, <laughs> the, the his, yeah. Exactly. And, and so I, I hope one day to, if we ever do return back to London to start to to study some of that in in the same way because um these there's so much you can learn from these past runners and these past people that have have obviously done amazing things that i think informs sometimes our limits but 
often often like inspires us to to go and like get even more creative you know yeah yeah so you mentioned just a minute ago about you know pushing people pushing their limits running 100ks running 100 milers um but you recently ran your first 100 mile week um and i'd love to hear you know how much of a jump was that from where you where your kind of base mileage is and what had to shift how did that feel like talk us through what that experience was like yeah so i guess the thing is that to me, 100 mile, miles in a week was an insane thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the concept of someone running 100 miles in a week back, back like before I moved to San Francisco, when I was running the streets of London at night and just like running five miles and, and you know, doing that a couple of times a week, the, the very idea of a person running 100 miles wasn't even something I knew about. <laughs> let alone, um, let alone really thought was possible. So I, I guess the thing is that I've been training with David now since 2017. Mm. I, I had this incredible, <laughs> I had this incredible moment where I spotted him running the quad dipsy in 2016. And it was this incredibly rainy day. And I was walking on the dipsy cause I had wanted to see the quad. And I'd heard all about this race and how special the community was and the trail was this, this magical thing. And I'd finally got the courage up to like start exploring much more. And um, I saw David and he, he was about to win the race and he'd run 20-something miles up the dipsy stairs and, you know, up and over the, the trail. And mm. he smiled <laughs> He smiled at me and said, and he said, thank you to me for coming out to, oh. to cheer. Yeah. Um, little did he know I was kind of not there specifically to cheer. It was more just to like, um, right. I guess, like gaze at this, this crazy <laughs> spectacle. Gawk, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, um, I saw him and I saw him do this and I, I immediately like that Christmas, I was like, I'm going to get back into running. I've seen this guy. Um, mm. I'm going to email him. I'd been reading his, some of his articles in Trail Runner because I, he was writing, I think, back then. Yeah. Um, and I just, I had decided the trails were where I wanted to be and these people were incredible and I wanted to be like them. And um, Ricky Gates was running crazy things and, he was inspiring me with some of his uh, Solomon YouTube stuff. And um, I just, I, I started training with David and I remember saying to him, I just want to break, my running goal is to break an hour and a half in the half marathon. And I think at the time it had been like 1.39 or, or um, 1.30, you know, high 1.30s. And I wasn't training very well, but I had already signed up to run the speed project, I think, in 2017 with a bunch of the the kind of people in London from Rundum. And so David had me training maybe, I think at the time it was maybe 30 miles a week, mm. you know, slowly, slowly building up. And I had told him about my injuries and um, all the stupid mistakes I'd made in the past. And um, 
more than anything, my inconsistency. Like I, <laughs> I would do something, I'd run a race and then I'd stop running, you know, and uh, working with David, the first thing to, to really get over was just being consistent, just showing up in a way where um, he could see I was doing the work and I could build on the, um, the week-by-week progress rather than stop-start. And um, even, to be honest, even to this day, I'm, I'm the worst at my log. I like some days don't show up a couple of days in the week and will be absent and he's very forgiven. But this year it has really, I have, I have found focus, you know, and this year I, I guess the pandemic has done strange things to a lot of us and um, I'm in a privileged position to work from home and that, that time I have where I'm not commuting to work has, has given mm-hmm. me the space to kind of, to, to get my run done without finding excuses, I guess, and um, allowed me to be consistent. And obviously, so much stuff's been cancelled. <laughs> every, every race was cancelled, I guess, from March onwards. So I had signed up to run 50K in March, and that, I think, was cancelled a week before it happened. And I ended up running it with a friend of mine, Liam, who's a, a photographer in the Bay Area and also a runner and, and a climber and just a, a great kind of, again, cultural uh view and opinion on on these sports and how we can be more than sport and he and I just decided to run it together anyway and do this 50k and there were some other people out doing the same very very socially distant um you know you'd (laughs) everyone seemed to just pick a time whenever they wanted to and and we finished and it was great and I you know I, I ran a what I felt was really a strong, strong run. And I came away thinking, okay, this, this is like setting me up to do something good. I feel great. I don't feel like I have in past ultras. And I think at that time that was, you know, that's not a race. So I guess a lot of people wouldn't account it, but my, I think I've done around seven now, seven, 50 Ks, a hundred Ks. Um, and in contrast, I've only done ever done two road marathons, that one in London mm. and then one, one CIM last year. And I just felt the need for some focus. So I said to David that, like, I'm feeling good. And I started by, I started doing a few little challenges. Um, some friends back in London were doing, like, you know, some elevate like how much can you climb in one type stuff and so obviously in san francisco you're blessed with hills so that was basically a cheat code for me but uh yeah i i came away from those things and i just felt really like i wanted to do something that would give me the jump in confidence that say a race would you know and I, this year I had I had really wanted to run Milwaukee hundred K again. And I ran it last year and I I I had a great time. I loved it. It was honestly I think it's the, my favorite race I ever 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 run. But there is when when a race like that gets cancelled that 
if I'm honest, I've been thinking about since I ran it last year, I needed something. I needed something to focus myself on and show up and know that I was um, pro- progressing and kind of had uh, a sense a sense of like focus that was more than my work. So David slowly built me up and we were doing 60 miles, 70 mile weeks. I, I'm, I'd say that right now, like I, I've got to a great point where a 60 or 70 mile week doesn't feel um, like a lot, especially if it's, you know, the weekends are on the trails or, and those are like the easier runs um, or slightly like more chilled Saturday on the trails. And I just, I think that, that, hundred miles became, or yeah, a hundred mile week became just such a appealing goal. Like what happens to your body when you do a hundred miles? You know, what, what is it to be someone who has not gone through a college athletics program or, um, ran as a, run as a child and discover it now later in life and then to run a hundred miles, what does that do? And what does it feel like? And Honestly, I loved it. <laughs> I, if if David would let me, I I think I would run a hundred <laughs> mile weeks once a month. You know, mm. um, not not for the distance, but the way more the way it played out. So we took away the the workout in the middle of the week. You know, and I was running kind of either uh, a kind of fifteen miles in the day or I'd split it into a double. Um, and we did that, I think three or four times in the week and, um, then two long runs, you know, two long, really long runs on that Saturday and Sunday. And they were on the trails, just had a great time. And the whole week was actually more just about exploration of the city. I decided I'd run new runs that I hadn't done before, or, or should I say new routes? And uh, it just it just was like, wow, the city is really beautiful. Why have I never run this road? Like, look at that house. That's amazing. And I, I wasn't bothered about pace. I was just kind of running around and um, having this sense of like, cool, I'm going to go run 15 miles around San Francisco again. And it's going to be a beautiful way to spend my time. And so... As I say, if I could, I would do that all the time. But I, I guess that's um, I'm I'm not knowledgeable enough to know training structure or theory. So I'm sure there's a there's a reason not to allow me to, other than the injury it would probably cause. Hmm. I love hearing about that. Did you do it in six days or set, or did he do a seven day week for you? Ah, oh, great question. I think it was I think it was seven. Okay, but I think yeah. my I think. My Friday was a, a very like gentle day. I think I did five miles that Friday um, in preparation for the the longer Saturday, the longer Sunday. Yeah. But every I, I've actually had a friend who did it last week mm. um, as well. He kind of looked at it and was like, "Yeah, that looks like fun," and um, <laughs> <laughs> which it is if you love running, you know. Yeah. And, um, I guess what was so enjoyable was that it's 
it's so different to how you normally structure your weeks, at least for me. Like I dread, I kind of dread the Wednesday workout and I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why, because I love it afterwards. You know, mm-hmm. like you always, even if it's terrible and you like don't hit the times you wish you or you dream you would, I guess there, there is something beforehand where I know I've got to perform. Now, and, yeah. Uh, the 100 mile week took it away like performing was just like getting to the end of the week in one piece and feeling happy Mm. and also like celebrating with a beer which was also a joy but uh yeah it's it's just so I think I I would encourage people you know god I'm not about to say everyone doing a hundred mile week, but I think <laughs> I think what there is so so much to take from it is you could do a training week that you haven't done before and mm-hmm. treat it as play again. Mm-hmm. You know, like treat it as something new to explore because there is no pressure now. You know, we don't we don't know when we're gonna race again. And I think we're seeing a lot of FKTs, which I love, and I'm I'm kind of obsessed with FKTs, even yeah. before this year because I love I love that there is a navigation and like a kind of a, a different um, sentiment to it, I guess. But I just I think we should be like, what is running if we're not like trying different things every now and again? You know, like mm-hmm. again having a different rhythm, not just and I'm sure like a lot of the professional runners and and people who are more dedicated than me might say the 12-week block for a marathon is the best thing in running ever. Mm-hmm. And, I I mean, that feels incredible too. Like, CIM running that last year, I, I, I definitely loved that training block. But I think, you know, if you're always going to do training block after training block without any change or any kind of um new newness to it like you might get to the end of your running your running and kind of wish you had tried more things yeah and I hope I hope we all do try a lot I mean I think that one of the silver linings of all of this is exactly what you just said we we sort of interrupt our rhythm and and do get to try new things and find more play in it I mean I'm sure, you know, I was sort of on this, I don't know, uh, what's the right carousel? I don't know the right uh, analogy but or metaphor. Um, rhythm of, you know, two marathons a year, training block one after the other. And it was like this ride that I, I couldn't get off of because I didn't want to. I was out of fear of like getting out of shape or not meeting my goals. And it's been kind of nice to be forced off that ride because you can have more fun with it. I mean, I know there's been lots of talk about, well, how do you find your motivation to run when there's no races? But I think you can find motivation in different in different places and through different ways besides racing. Um, and it's been kind of nice to sort of go back to why I started running in the first place and, and rediscover that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're obviously up up in a different part of the country right now and that that is just such a joy to like think okay this week I've got like an eight mile or a ten mile and do, do you know what I'm going to go to this trail instead and I've never 
I've never seen the views from the top of that hill, so I'll use that as the place to run. Um, I, <laughs> I say all of this and I confess, you know, like the, I'm the very first person to write in my log to David, like, what happens if I lose my fitness? Mm. And <laughs> there, yeah. there's there's absolutely like uh, I'm I'm a running contradiction, I guess. But the idea of um, being able to use your fitness to do other things in race is really cool. Yeah. And whether yeah. that is to explore or to you know run one of the famous trails um, in California or somewhere else on the coast, like using your fitness to do something memorable, I think is just as valid as the, the kind of breaking your PR. Yeah, for sure. So before we get to some of our end of the podcast rapid fire questions, we, we like to ask our guests, you know, what do you think your relationship with running will look like, or what do you want it to look like in the next 10, 20, 30 years? (laughs) <laughs> I, hope, I hope still to be running that's yeah. that's for one um mm-hmm. I hope to stay injury free but I think my relationship with it I very much hope it is a a shared a shared relationship mm-hmm. so I think coming back to the we that we were talking out about earlier I think I don't I don't think my running will ever be just about me, partly because I'll talk to anyone who lets me about it, you know, (laughs) anyone who (laughs) listens, hears it. So um, that will probably still be me, hopefully in 30 years. But I think if there is something I can do where it is more, it is like inspiring others, then that would be Mm. really I feel really, really proud with that. I think as a runner mm-hmm. and a writer, I, I have some role models. I have people I look up to and I think, wow, if I could do anything such as what they're doing, then that would be just a, a, a gift. And I look at the mm-hmm. way Ricky Gates has gone from how he has been a, you know, an elite runner, winning races, and, and now this guy is like, influencing people by writing books, um, running, <laughs> running across the country and writing a book about it and um, acknowledging the, the notion of meeting people, I think mm-hmm. understanding and learning about those runners. If I can at all do any of that, I'd be so happy. And mm-hmm. I, I would love to do some of that in the UK. I think I'd, mm-hmm. I spoke to my partner, um, Clem, she, she and I talk about the fact we now have probably done more trips in the US than we ever did when we lived in England. Mm. And mm. we don't know our, the, the country we spent so long in. So in 30 years, if I could be an old, an old bloke that is either running <laughs> a trail along the coast or that um, <laughs> is, is still going to new cities and running around a new city to see it for the first time. Like, I don't think I, I would, much would make me happier than that. Yeah. Great. So with that, 
We're going to get to some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. They're, they're not hard. <laughs> At least I don't think they are. There is one that is um, the very important question. It's the last question. So just, you know, prepare yourself. Um, what is your favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? Oh, con- so controversial. Ooh. Um, well, I, maybe it's not. But for me, for me, it's easily the headlands. Mm. I... I've, you know, coming from London, growing up around there, like the headlands is the most magical place. It is like Narnia. Yeah. You know, I, I I have never run in a place that has such a wide variety of trails and, you know, the distances you can put together there. I, I love Tennessee Valley starting a run there and like either going up to the kind of coastal trail, which, you know, you've got the the views of the ocean. You can see San Francisco. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> you're often standing in crazy wind and like about <laughs> to get blown over, but you have this sense that you are really in, in nature, you know, and mm. that maybe that idea is absurd to some because they'll say like the headlands is, you know, a 10 minute drive from San Francisco, but to me, the idea of running that trail, running up the Dipsy up to Cardiac Hill in particular, there is a bench at the top of Cardiac Hill that I <laughs> I love this bench so much. I've never mm. loved a bench more in my life. <laughs> um, and now I understand why people have those benches. You know, they get a plaque mm-hmm. on the bench and they're, they're like, it's their spot. Well, mm-hmm. This this bench on Cardiac is like looking over the entire kind of ocean and you've got the ridge, the kind of ridge of these little bumps and the trail all kind of trailing off down downwards back to the ocean. And when you get either, you know, a great sunset or sunrise, or as we had um back in back in um Milwaukee 2019, it was actually complete fog. And you mm. run up to that, you run up to the top of that hill at the start of the race, and there was someone playing bagpipes, Scottish bagpipes on that oh my hill. Gosh. And <laughs> you were transported. Wow. You're, yeah. you're you're like, where am I? This is surreal. <laughs> um, am I firstly, am I about to be like murdered because it, it feels like we're in some kind of um, <laughs> you know, like weird dark uh, detective yeah. show. But yeah, that that place is I think I will always feel like that is partly home. It's wow. beautiful. If you could go on a long run with anyone, who would it be? Oof. Wow, there are so many people. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are. I if I if I may, I'm going to pick two. So go for it. I we'll would pick. It. <laughs> I'd, I'd pick Magda, Magda Boulay, yeah. mm. um, purely because I love that she runs locally. I love that she is kind of this person that has transcended different distances, you know. Mm-hmm. Her story of how she came to America, mm-hmm. um, she, you know, she's told um, people on, on interviews in the past and not just that, but then the way she runs now and the way she runs anything like Western States, Tahoe Rim Trail, 
And she is the kindest, most genuine. I, I mean, I've never met her. <laughs> so she'd probably she, yes. hate me. But, you know, <laughs> no, no. I, I think to run with someone like that, to, yeah. to pick their brains, mm-hmm. and obviously she's at Goo. So the idea that she yeah. knows yeah. so much about nutrition as well. So you're getting like a double whammy of like nutrition education and like race experience. Um, mm-hmm. She would be my number one, but I think I would love to also run with uh, Knox, Knox Robinson. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, f- firstly, he's like a, a really cool guy. You know, my, the the kind of person you always are like shit. That that. Per- oh, sorry, I don't know if I can swear. But, oh, you can swear. You're fine. Um, you can swear. <laughs> yeah. I, I I've really tried to tone it down, but I'm quite bad normally. So that's good. It's only one, but. Crank it up, Luke. I, let's, let's have yeah. Here. <laughs> well, this, this guy, you know, like... I don't think I've... Maybe I have. I don't know if I've ever sworn on the podcast, but that... I can't even count the time, a number of times I swear throughout the day. So it's yeah. kind of crazy if that hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to bring your authentic yeah. self, you know? I, <laughs> it would be a lot of F-bombs. <laughs> it's okay. Um, well, yeah. So th- this guy, you know, he... I think what I would enjoy so much is like he's a fast, fast runner and he can like talk about the culture of running as a fast person, but uh, also as someone who sees running and um, this self-expression and these, this act of running is more than that and um, what it, what its power is. And so to pick someone's brains and maybe even have him like tell me what's a good <laughs> what's a good idea for a, a running piece or what mm-hmm. what's what's a good piece of writing um, that would be a gift. Yeah, yeah. Do you listen to podcasts, music, or nothing during most runs? Yeah, uh, podcasts. I I love them. Mm-hmm. There's at least on easy runs. Actually, on my like workouts of on my Saturday, like, you know, the kind of moderate long run, Mm -hmm. I won't. I'll like, I really love the idea of feeling, feeling the feels, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, what, like you get, you get so in your head anyway, when you're running and, Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to be distracted from that on those runs. I, I want to go through those emotions and, um, I I would say I'm like pretty pretty tough on myself in terms of I still don't think I've got a strong mentality for running. Mm-hmm. I last year like crash and burned at Milwaukee. Um after the 50k mark I was like super happy with my running up until then and just was naively out too fast and couldn't hold it and mm. I'm really now trying to work on that mental aspect and I I'm trying to do that through not listening to stuff on my runs. Uh, but on the easy day, of course, like mm-hmm. I will listen. I'm trying to soak up everything I can culturally because my job is so tied to mm-hmm. like having to be inspired and and either be part of culture or, you know, try and draw inspiration from what people are doing. So if I if I walk into a room and someone's talking to me about a, a reference and I don't know it, 
uh, I'm not doing my job very well. Mm. <laughs> uh, intervals or tempo runs? Uh, intervals. It's fun, you know. Like, yeah, the, <laughs> I love I love the like intervals. Probably a little too much, at least from <laughs> for my mind. And I know that is um, it's different for every runner, you know. Like for for me, I think anything over like eight or ten reps, I start to be like, oh no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some, obviously, that's like fifteen, twenty, but like mm-hmm. I. I kind of love it because you get to those last couple and you're you're like so terrified of of um crash and burning and uh when you get through you're like yeah you're <laughs> you're just you're just chuffed with yourself and you're it's it's as good as kind of any any other run that week when you do a good interval workout yeah i've Started to love them more. I had a really fun one yesterday, and I was like, "Hmm, maybe, maybe if I was asked this question again, my I, I said tempo runs, but I think my answer might be changing." Um, I agree. The feeling is is really good. What do you um, do out oh, of interest? What What are the reps you normally do? Oh, so it could be a variety of things, anywhere from like two hundreds to mm-hmm. you know two Ks or two mile repeats. Um, La, or yesterday we did um it was it was 200s but they were sort of like broken up so it was one 200 sort of slower pace than another 200 so it was continuous 200 wow. faster um and then we did a mile of that and then so this was on the track and then just a little bit of rest and then five it it was not a really big workout to be honest like i didn't feel totally and Dina, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> sorry. I mean, <laughs> it scares me for like then what she might give me. Um, but uh, so I did uh, a mile of that, then five laps of it, and then and then six laps. And so you're running continuously through it. Um, but for whatever reason, and you know, I wasn't like shuffling in those off intervals. Certainly, it felt like more of a rest, but just. I find that when you're like doing active recovery or, or running continuously, it just, it goes by faster and I don't know, it was just fun. It just sort of like felt like a game yesterday. But, you know, last week I did, um, two by, uh, 10 or 10 of one minute on one minute off by two. And so it was 20 of those. And that actually felt pretty hard. I had been doing some 800, so it'll just vary, but I, I, I never know what I'm doing until I show up. Wow. Which is nice. Like, cause then I don't, I don't think about it. Right. Like I don't stress over it. That's so cool. I mean, those honestly sound like uh, really hard workouts to me, every single one. And <laughs> I, 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 this is what's so cool. I think about other people's workouts, you know, obviously if you're lucky enough to kind of um, be able to work with a coach uh, they'll they'll give you these these things that feel a little more personalized and yeah, yeah. I I love hearing about other people's because you're like wow you're doing you're doing that and like <laughs> often often you're like I could never do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it was funny before we started the workout yesterday she was like yeah I used to give um, Sarah Hall this workout because my coach used to be um, the assistant track and field and cross country coach 
coach at Stanford and coached Sarah and Ryan and then coached Sarah after she graduated. And I was like, okay, so this is a Sarah Hall workout. Oh my God, I'm going to die. But, um, <laughs> and, and, but that gave me like a little bit of extra motivation and excitement, right? Like, oh, if someone like her is doing this workout then, and, and my coach thinks I can handle it, like that makes me feel good. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, what is your long run fuel? So I, um, I'm using spring energy now. Yeah, so that's good. There, I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted. I, I think the, the issue I've had in the past is I've actually run some races and I think it was a combination of heat and also running terrified, like at the end towards the finish. <laughs> but I've, I've actually got to a few finish lines immediately crossed and thrown up. So wow. I, I had some trouble with fueling and like figuring it out and, Spring energy has been amazing. I I love uh, Canterbury and um, I'm yeah I'm pro that. So you know if they're listening, they should definitely sponsor this uh, this very <laughs> slow amateur athlete. But mm-hmm. still, you know, <laughs> and the podcast. Yeah, the, I like the Canterbury too. I like there's like a peanut butter one that I also really like. It's good. It it yeah it. Even though it's a gel, it feels like you're kind of eating real food. Um, it's enjoyable. Yeah, I and, and I think for the longer stuff, you know, you want to, especially with the trails, like you want that stuff that feels like real food. You know, you don't right. You, you don't want to be. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure people do, but I find it hard to like have gel after gel that feel quite um, synthetic or the, uh, and not, and not food. So yeah, I, I've made the switch and so far it's been amazing. And combining that with like peanut butter jelly sandwiches, which, you know, is specific to American, uh, aid stations so far, but I love and pretzels and all of that, that combo has been the dream. Mm. Yeah. So our final, most important question. <laughs> Uh-oh. Burger, burrito, or pizza? Oh my god. Well, I would have said I would have said pizza before moving to San Francisco and I'm mm. still a hardcore pizza loyalist, so anyone out there please like do not um send me hate mail or chuck pizzas <laughs> at my at me as I run along, but I think I, I've been converted to burritos as like uh, a post-run yeah. uh, meal. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got we've got a place near us, um, just kind of in, at the bottom of the mission that I love called Cancun, mm. and they do incredible burritos, and they're like honestly the size of my forearm. Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's it's become my love, but I I think I would never. I'd never um, turn away a pizza if you offered it to me. Let's say that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode with Luke Wicker. You can find Luke on Instagram and on Twitter at Luke Wicker. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Runners of the Bay. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We'd also be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review specifically in Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do so. You just have to go to the app, find the Runners of the Bay podcast feed, scroll down, you'll see the reviews and there's a little place where you can say, write review. You can do it right in the app. We would be so grateful. We're really hoping more people can find the show and getting those ratings and reviews is the best way to do so. Thanks again to UCAN for sponsoring this episode and we'll talk to you soon.